So I was able to meet with a friend uh, and her, her boyfriend and then her boyfriend's college friends. And so we didn't go to the same college. Uh, I didn't go to the same college as her, her current boyfriend. And so uh, we met and we talked. And, and whenever I meet with my old college friends, it ends up being like a nostalgia trip. We just kind of talk about the, the past and how stupid we were and, and all, the, all the things that we kind of regret and all the, all the little things um, that happened there. And, and, you know, we were good Christian kids. And so we went to, uh, we went to a, a Christian uh, fellowship with all the other college students. And I, I've talked about this before, but there really was like two groups in this college group um, that we had even in our class. It was the ones who partied and who drank and the ones who were, who were the, the finger waggers. Like, how dare you guys go out and party? Like, you know, you heathens and all this stuff. And so our group was, was split like that. And it was, it was interesting hearing from um, my friend's boyfriend and, and his friends. Uh, it's not like this random phenomenon. It, it happened also in his school, uh, in, in his college ministry. It was very similar in that. And so we were kind of all just joking and laughing how, you know, this is it's kind of a systemic problem within the church uh, that there are these two groups. It was, and it was funny because the word he used to describe the group was the holy ones and then the non-holy ones. It was, it was kind of like, oh man, like even in, even in a different school, a different environment, that they still had um, the difference between the good ones and the bad ones. I'm coming to, to this realization that church harbors Church harbors a lot of fakeness. And, and please, I'm not trying to say you're fake. I'm not trying to say that you are a fake person. I'm, I'm, just, um, I'm just kind of realizing, and it's not even something huge, but I, I realize the community of faith, that a lot of times we come into this community of faith trying to look a certain way because we don't want, we don't want to be found out for how terrible we really are. So a lot of times we come and, and we even wear our Sunday best. You know, we wear clothes to reflect how good we are. And, and a lot of it just harbors this fakeness. And this fakeness leads to a judgmental heart because when someone comes to church and they're not fake, and, and they're, they're genuine, and they're real, and they're raw, and they come in with all their sins and all their problems and all their brokenness. They come in the doors. We're like kind of like, oh man, all right, you got to take a step back and you got to stay away. Uh, maybe we can figure out how to share your testimony that's not going to shock the church. And, and maybe we can talk about it. And, and okay, you need to watch your language. <laughs> you need to not use those words. And, and we, we, we begin to try to teach people when they come to church, you got to be a little fake. You got you to, you know, keep up appearances. You gotta look a certain way. So my parents are both doctors. So when I grew up, the fakeness that I had to learn, the fakeness, truly the fakeness I had to learn, was that we had to look like we were poor. And 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 it's it's kind of weird even trying to share this because I know my mom listens to the podcast, and so I know like even now I'm I'm, I'm getting nervous because I don't want to offend her. But really, like um, my mom, my mom's dad, um, my mom's dad was a pastor. Um, of, of KCC, of, of the, the first Korean church here in Denver. And even with the way she grew up was, was knowing that you're not, you're not, you're not allowed to, to flaunt wealth. Like you, you have to, like to be a good Christian, you have to be poor. You have to look poor. And so there, there's this fakeness that comes about it. And, and it's not like in this bad way, but it, it just happens because you don't want to offend. You don't want to look wrong. You, you want to assimilate and be the same. But there comes a point 
there comes a point where this fakeness becomes into judgment. Because I, I remember even the last church I was serving in, you know, that one of our members drove a Porsche, this bright orange Porsche. And it was beautiful. It was a beautiful car. And it, made, it, it sounded amazing. It was like, it sounded, it sounded real good. But it was bright orange. I remember some of the older, older ladies, they're like, why, why does he drive that Porsche? You know, how dare he come to church in a Porsche? How dare he come to church in that obscene car? And I was, I was kind of realizing, I was like, yeah, so when you come to church, you've got to kind of come, you've got to come in a Camry. You've got to come in a... <laughs> and it's that, it's that culture that brews that people begin to come to church not being able to be themselves, not being able to be raw, to be real. But it's about looking like the community. Even in our church, we're all, we all live in Denver. We all live in this area. And so even when people come out of state, you know, they, they kind of have to learn, oh, these are how people in Colorado live. These are how people are, are in, in this area. I want to let you know, today's passage, there's two characters that I really want to focus on. One is Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed Jesus. And the other is Mary. Mary, the sister of Lazarus and Martha. But the way in which that they worship, strikingly different. And I'll, I'll confess to you, I'm far more like Judas. I'm far more like Judas than I am Mary. And my goal is that I become more like Mary in the way that I worship our Lord and Savior. If you would open up your Bibles with me to John chapter 12. We're continuing our series on the Gospel of John. And, and we just entered into the Lent season, which means that there is 40 days until Easter. And I hope you understand the reason why we're even going through the Gospel of John is because the climax is coming. The story culminates on Easter Sunday when Jesus is risen from the grave. And I'm so excited to finally get to the resurrection. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to look and, and, and talk about the crucifixion on Good Friday. I'm, I'm looking forward, but there is a journey in which we have to take to get to the cross, and this is one of the pit stops before we get to the cross. So in John chapter 12, starting from verse 1, it says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was. And we talked about Lazarus, whom Jesus has raised from the dead. So he's like going back to this, this place where he, he mourned with them, he cried with them, and, and he raised Lazarus from the dead, and he's going back. And so they gave a dinner for him there. And so now, it's like after all that chaos of, of Lazarus dying, Jesus gets to go back. And imagine just how weird the situation is. Lazarus was dead. And now he's alive, and, and, and Jesus does what he does best. He's like, let's have dinner. And, and, and Martha, Martha here is, is the one serving. And this is what Martha does. She serves. She's the one who's a busybody. So she's cooking dinner. She's putting out all the plates. She's making sure everything's good. And Lazarus was the one reclining with him at the table. Lazarus was just sitting there with Jesus at the table, and they were talking. And again, I'm, I'm kind of reading this, and I'm like, how crazy is this? Lazarus, this dude was dead. He was in the grave for four days, and Jesus raises him from the dead. He comes out with all the bandages and everything coming out. And, and, and a, few, a, few, a few days later, a few months later, however long it was, we don't know how long this time period was, but Jesus goes back to this house, and once where there was death, now there is life. And they're able to eat dinner and break bread. So just imagine how happy Martha is as she's serving. This is crazy, 
We're having dinner with Jesus. And, and it's not sad. We're happy because Lazarus is alive. And Lazarus is probably thinking, like, I'm not dead. Like, I'm able to eat with Jesus. Verse 3. Mary, Lazarus' other sister, therefore took a pound. And, and a pound is a pound. So the weight of expensive ointments made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii, which is a day's wages, and given to the poor? He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself. So he was stealing what was, to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. So again, in this story there are two people. And I think Mary, the more I think of the story, I think she was so overwhelmed with joy. Truly joy. Because her brother was once dead. And now he's alive and he's been alive and, and, and they're having dinner with Jesus, the guy who raised her brother from the dead. And she's so overwhelmed with emotion, with love, and, and with just, again, she doesn't even know how to begin to repay Jesus. How do you repay someone for raising someone from the dead? There's no way you can repay it. And so Mary goes into her possessions. She finds the most expensive bottle of perfume that she has. And let me tell you, it probably even had labels explaining how expensive it was because Judas knew. That thing cost 300 denarii, 300 days wages, essentially a year's salary. This bottle of perfume costed a year's salary. And so Mary, Mary finds probably one of the most valuable things in the home. And she's like, this is what I want to give to my Lord because of what he's done. He's brought our family life that once what, 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 what was once dead is now alive. And so he's eating dinner with us. What, what could I do to worship my Lord who has saved us, who has resurrected us? So she pours this super expensive bottle of perfume on the feet of Jesus and wipes it with her hair. And the whole house is filled with this fragrance. And Judas... Judas being Judas. He says, why wasn't it sold and given to the poor? And he said this because he was in charge of the money bag. And I think Jesus specifically put Judas in charge of the money bag because he knew Judas's heart was so attached to money and not to Jesus that when he sees, when Judas sees this extravagant worship, this costly worship, this expensive worship, Judas is thinking about himself. He's thinking, why didn't she give, why didn't Mary give me this bottle of perfume that I could go sell and then I can put into the treasury, and then I can serve the poor, and I can let Jesus know how much money is in the treasury, and then I can kind of take my salary from the treasury. Judas' mindset is very logical, let me tell you. It makes, it makes a ton of sense. In the sense, he wants to be able to control how in which the poor are served, how in which the ministry of Jesus is being managed. And yes, I, I get my cut, I get my salary, I get what I, what I get. But you know what, Mary? You did it wrong because you, you, 
You use the perfume on Jesus yourself, and you, you didn't realize that you have to come through the church. You have to come through leadership. You have to come through the right channels, and because you did it wrong, how dare you, Mary, wasting that perfume? How dare you? When I told you that I have the heart of Judas, when I, when I visit other churches, especially mega churches, my sinful heart walks into the lobby, smells the coffee, sees the worship, the instruments, sees how big the sanctuary is, how wonderful everything, the lights, and I see how nice everything is, and my decrepit and sinful heart begins to judge. You know how much you know how much it costs? You know how much it costs to, to get coffee for your members every single day, every single Sunday? You know how much it costs to buy those kind of chairs? You know how much it costs to, to set up those kind of lights and to have those kind of instruments? Oh my goodness, is he he's really you know how that guitar is five thousand dollars? His pedal board is is more than that. Oh man. You could do the same for something so much cheaper. And the, and the difference you could, you could then give to missions. Oh, the American church, the mega church, has no interest in giving to the poor, has no interest in really helping. My heart is so much like Judas. Begins to condemn. Begins to say, your worship is too extravagant. The way you're doing it is wrong. I say this because I need to repent. That's not the right attitude. When you look at these beautiful churches, it's not about condemning them. The question I really have is, is it for Jesus? If it's not, then yes, it's rightly condemned. And I, again, that's not your job to condemn it. It's God's. If that church was not built for the Lord, for the Savior, then absolutely it's a waste. It's useless. But if that church, if that building, if that car, if that house, if that was all bought as worship unto Jesus, that is wonderful. And we should encourage it. I, I imagine Mary, when she even bought this bottle of perfume, and I imagine her being with her sister Martha. And again, Martha's the, the responsible one. She's the one who's always doing the dishes, always getting everything ready. Could you imagine if her sister comes home with this, this little bottle of perfume, or this, this bottle of perfume, and, and, and her Martha's probably asking her, how much was that? Mary's probably like, I got it on sale. Don't worry, don't worry. Uh, it's, originally, it's originally 400 denarii. I got it for 250 denarii. Martha's probably thinking to herself like, that's so crazy. That's 250 days wages that you just spent on a bottle of perfume. Mary, you're crazy. What are you doing? How could you spend that much money? How could you spend that much money on a bottle of perfume? You're crazy. That's, I mean, again, that's, I think I'm projecting. That's probably what I would do with my sisters if they did something like that. But the thing was is that she had that bottle of perfume. And she used that bottle of perfume as an act of worship. And that act of worship is so beautiful. And yes, it's expensive, it's extravagant, but it was worship. It's because it was an outpouring of her heart. See, Judas's heart is, to, is, is this. Give, 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 give money 
And in his heart, the way he's doing it is not because he really wants to help the poor. Helping the poor is secondary. It is, it is down the road. It's give so that I can have my salary. I can do what I need to do. I need to take care of my own. Give so that, you know, you really think you're giving to Jesus. You're really thinking you're giving to the Lord because he's done so much for you. But in reality, you're giving so that I can steal from the money bag. He has the gall. Judas has the audacity to lecture Jesus. Let me, let me explain this to you. Jesus had just, I mean, not too long ago, fed 5,000 families. Okay, follow with me here. He fed 5,000 families with five loaves and two fish. Okay, Jesus was able to do this miracle to help the poor with no money at all. Jesus is able to help the poor by doing what he does best. A miracle. And, and Judas has the audacity to tell Jesus, Jesus, this woman, this woman is wasting perfume on you when it can be used for the poor. Could you imagine being Jesus? Being, having shown Judas that you, you, could, you could transform five loaves and two fish into feeding 5,000. And let me tell you, the disciples each that day when they got the after all was collected, they had 12 baskets of leftovers. So the disciples were able to take doggy bags home and have even their fill. So it wasn't like the, the leaders had to worry about their fill. Jesus, in his miracle, was able to provide for all and more. But imagine Judas is lecturing Jesus and saying, Jesus, this is such a waste. And Jesus has to point to his death and, and explains to him that Mary is preparing him for his burial, that Mary is doing an act of worship because he's about to die. See, I think what Jesus is pointing to in this is that, yes, the poor will, will be with you always. And that's a, that's a sad truth that actually Jesus explains, that there will always be poor people. But, but he, but he will not. And, and it's not to say that God isn't with you. God is with you. Holy Spirit is always with you. But I think what this points to, especially in my life, there are times in my life where I, I sense the presence of God, that I know God is in this place, that God is residing here. It doesn't mean that God isn't with me all the time. There are times where I just feel more in tune, that God is leading my heart, and that he's just touching me in a way, and he's, he's showing me in a way that I'm like, oh man, God, you are so real right now. I think Mary felt that. And yes, Jesus was there physically, but I think she felt this inside, this inner working that she was like, man, God is here. And I can't believe it. We're actually eating dinner with God. And so her worship was costly. It was extravagance. It was big. But it's because God was there. She gave because God was there. I, I, want, I want to share this message. I want you to know this is not me trying to, 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 to make things line up because we're, we've gone through this gospel um, kind of week by week to go, to go through it. But, but let's be real. We're going through a, a general assembly after, after service today talking about purchasing a building. And it's going to cost a lot of money. And it's going to be a big burden. And I, I want to make it very clear. I do not want you to give to a building. I do not want you to give to a building because it doesn't matter where we worship. 
It doesn't matter if we worship in a warehouse. It doesn't matter if we worship in a high school. It doesn't matter if we worship in a hotel lobby. It does not matter. The building does not matter. It matters who we worship. It matters that we are worshiping Jesus and we are doing it in a way that we are at his feet. And, and we, are willing, we are willing to be at his feet and say, you are the savior of the world. You've saved my life and I want to worship you the rest of my life. This is not me saying, let's fill up the church bank account so we can buy this building. I, I do not want to be like Judas. I want to tell you, if we buy a building, we can help the poor so much more. If we buy a building, we can do all these things, and our church can be known, and we can do all these amazing growth projects and, and have all these things done. That's not, that's not the point. The point is, we want to worship Jesus. We want to worship him. We want to give him our lives. I want to give him everything that we have. And if God is leading us to buy this building, and I want to make it very clear, it, it, it only can be God who is leading us. It's not me who is leading us to buy this building. It's not the building committee. It's not the deacons. If it's God who is leading us into this building, if he is the one saying that he has a plan for this building, a plan for us to be worshiping in this place, then I'm for it. And regardless of the logic of it, if God is explaining that that is what we're supposed to do, then let's do it. But if he's saying, no, this isn't for you, let's not do it. Because the reason is, is many times we get lost in the numbers. We get lost in all these things. And I want to get lost in worship. I want to get lost where people are like, how could you, how could you be that extravagant? And me say, extravagance? I wish I had more. There's another story of a, of a widow at the temple and Jesus is teaching at the temple and she has two mites, two pennies. And it's, it's a widow with two pennies and she gives her two pennies to the temple. And Jesus explains to his disciples and to the people that were listening, this woman gave more than everyone. And, and I, I, know, I know many times churches are like, so, you know, it's a percentage thing. <laughs> you know, this woman had nothing and she gave the most percent. And so God looks at the percent in which you give. No. God looks at the heart. He looks at our heart when we give. Because he does not care if you give out of obligation. He doesn't even take it. He cares if you give from, his, from your heart as an act of worship. Because God doesn't need money. I don't know if you know that. God doesn't need money. God doesn't need that to do the work that he's doing. God desires your heart. He desires you. And, and he wants you like a child looking at their father. And, and again, a child looking at their father, it's like we want to give you a good gift, Lord. We want to give you a gift saying this is your day and, and this, is what you, this, is what, this is what is good. And, and you know what? As a dad now, uh, you know, when, you, when the kids come home with like even a picture and, and, and if you're in the picture, it's not that it, it, it costs much. It's not that it was. It's the, it's the heart behind it. You know, when I'm older and, and, and my kids buy me ties or they buy me socks, like I'm going to be so happy. And every time I wear those socks, it's going to be because I know they did it, not because they were obligated. I hope it's not because they're obligated. I hope it's because that they truly love. The heart of Judas, we have to, we have to understand and nip it in the bud. The heart of Judas is dangerous and it's common. 
when it comes to churches, there is this judgment that goes around. You know, how much are you giving to the poor? How much are you real? Like, what is your church really doing? You know, what is your church really providing as a service unto society? You know, your church doesn't do enough. And it becomes this judgment. He's like, your church doesn't do enough. This church does more. And, and, and you know what? So all, all these different comparisons and contrasts. And so it begins to become this, this real pride issue. It's like, well, you know what? We may not have a good international missions, but we have a really good local missions. Oh, we may not even have a good local missions, but we have a great children's ministry. And don't you know, teaching the next generation is a mission in and of itself. And, and all these excuses. And it, it's about talking about how my church does better than your church. My church, my church is, 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 is better prepared to, to spread the gospel than your church. And it becomes this comparison. And so churches become fake because they want to look good. You know, I meet with a lot of pastors these days, and it's been great because they, they meet with me and, and we're, we're, we're all, you know, these lead pastors and talking to each other about, about strategy. But what even those meetings become? It becomes just this time to be as fake as possible and tell people you're doing more than you're really doing. Because you want to feel good. Oh, my church does this. My church does that. Oh, praise God. I'm sick of it. I want our church to be known to worship. It's not about comparison. I don't, I don't think, I don't think Mary was, was comparing. Because I think even in the story, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were all doing the right thing. Martha was doing the dishes and she was getting dinner ready. That's wonderful. That's great. Cost zero, zero dollars. Just some effort. Lazarus was doing no work. He was being lazy. He was just sitting at the table and talking with Jesus. Guess what? That's great too. That's wonderful. Lazarus was worshiping Jesus by just having some time talking to him. And you know what? Mary... The most expensive, most expensive act of worship she gave. She sacrificed this perfume to Jesus. All acts of worship, all valid, all good, all wonderful. I've said this before, I need to say it again. You are not obligated in any way to give. You are not obligated. I, 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 I would rather our church go bankrupt. I would rather our church to go bankrupt than you give a single dollar out of obligation. If you, if, you, if you give our church money because you feel like you have a responsibility and required to, you know what? Throw that out the door. Keep it. I would rather you give it unto Jesus. And that means, truly, if that means that you feel that, that you are giving unto God by giving unto a different church, a different organization, even, even a different person, just, just giving it elsewhere in order to give it unto God, I want you to do it. At least if you would just do it. I hope that if you give to our church, it's because you believe in our church. I hope if you give to our church, it's because you believe in the mission that we have. You believe in the gospel that's being preached here. That you would want the gospel to be furthered and for us to be able to do more. Because we... Because we're trying. But I, I, I really... I'm, I'm trying to put my foot down as hard as I can. Do not give because you think you're required. Do not give because you feel this compulsion because the leaders told you to. Because let me tell you, I guarantee you that's what Judas was doing. Judas was probably going to all the people after they were healed. I, I want to make this very clear. Judas was probably going to all the people after they were healed by Jesus and just doing this. You were healed? <laughs> How much are you going to give? How much was that healing worth? Church, let me, let me help you understand. I hope people come into our church and are healed. 
I hope they come to our church and they are, are, are introduced to Jesus and they are able to be embraced by him. But I, I will stand firm to this day. I will never be Judas trying to say, well, you know, Jesus touched you? Here, can you give? I want it to be the other way around. Where if you're touched by Jesus, that you want to know what you can do back for him. That you want to know how you could, you could even respond to the healing and the relationship you have with Christ. And this is where I want to let you know it's not just about money because I think Martha did a great job. Martha did a great job by, by cleaning and, and, and by, by setting the tables. And you know what? We have amazing people at our church that do the exact same thing. And their service is so, it's so touching to me. And, and really, David, David Curry, you, you are an inspiration to me. Because, they, I don't know if you know David, but David has served so faithfully, and that is an act of worship. That is of equal worth and value as any amount of money. Church, I have to, you have to know, there's no obligation. It's just a response to what God has done for us. Is it a response? This has to be said, because we're going to be, you know, talking about buying a building, talking about fundraising and doing all this stuff that I just don't feel prepared to do. You know, I'm so glad we have other people at our church that are business-minded and able to do it without, you know, without too much stress. But I, I, will, I will say, even during this time, I'm just like, oh, what did I get myself into? Like, I don't, I don't want to deal with any of this stuff. Like, let me just go and preach. <laughs> let me just come and preach, and then everyone else can figure out everything else. What I'm realizing is it's also a teaching time for you. I don't want any fakeness in our church. I don't want you to feel obligated in any way. I don't want you to feel that there's anything because the work is already done. Jesus is already the one who's done everything. I'm doing nothing. I'm just here to tell you what Jesus has done. And what Jesus has done is he died on a cross. For the sin of the world. And he was risen again. And because of that, I can stand firm here saying that I'm forgiven. Because he was forsaken. I'm accepted because he was condemned. I'm alive because of him. And it's out of that that I want to respond back to my Lord and Savior in any way that I can. In any way that I can. Please, please do not feel that the church is being like Judas, trying to get your money to pay my salary. I want you to know if my salary is not paid, I'll be fine. I believe in a God who's good enough that if I don't get paid, it's going to be good. We're going we're gonna to be able to, to still eat together and, 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 and have a good time together. Even if we have no building, we can figure out where to meet. You can meet at my house. We can meet in my driveway. We can meet in a park. It's not about that, but the question is, is our worship genuine? Are we worshiping a living and active, an active God, or are we worshiping the church? Please, let's not worship the church, because the church is full of people like Judas. The church is full of sinners like Peter. The church is full of messed up Pharisees. The church is full of these people that are just so, so focused on themselves when truly our focus needs to be on Jesus. Would you join with me in, in being more like Mary in our worship? That we would be willing to be extravagant. We would be willing to give what the world would deem crazy. 
Not because you're required, but because what Jesus did, what Jesus did on that Good Friday, what the Lord did by raising him from the dead on Easter Sunday, that's what I want to give my life to. Let's pray. Father, I pray for our church. Uh, Lord, would we not be like Judas? Would we not be looking just fill our bank accounts, but instead would be looking to worship you truly. God, would we be like Mary, Martha, and Lazarus in our own ways? Would we be that in a way that we would be worshiping you in whatever capacity that you've made us to worship? I pray, I pray that we would have that kind of worship reside in us, that we would either be like Martha, who is serving and just doing all these things. We would be like Lazarus to sit at the table, uh, down at the table and just talking with you. Or we would be like Mary, that we would extravagantly worship you because you are worth it. Father, be with our church. Lead us in your direction, that we would be obedient to your call in all things. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>